suddenly everyone that was seated around me had that very skill set that I needed. (laughs) This is Heart of the Story, and I'm Nadine Kenny Johnstone. I'm a writer and a writing coach who helps women develop and publish their memoirs and essays. But most importantly, I'm a human who's always trying to figure out what my soul is saying. Each week, I'll share stories and tips of healing, hope, and following my heart so that you'll feel inspired to follow yours. Hi, friends. Ah. I am going to be talking to you today about something that's been on my mind for quite a while, which is how we look at striving and our behaviors around always reaching for the next thing. And this is really interesting to be talking about right now in my own life because a few weeks ago, I launched a book out into the world called Come Home to Your Heart, and I ventured off on my book tour, which I'm still on and will be on throughout the summer, and I very purposely planned out this book tour so that it was sustainable and heart-filling and really reciprocal in terms of feeding my soul while also giving to the people who have come out to see me. And so I just want to say thank you to all of you out there, readers who have been coming out to my workshops in Florida and in the Midwest and have signed up to come see me on the East Coast later on in the summer. I want to thank you for showing up because I love seeing you in person and I also have been very purposeful to schedule things in a way that when I show up for you out in the world, I am nourished and rested and excited and ready to go so that you're not getting an exhausted, overwhelmed, overworked version of me. It would completely defeat everything that I talk about in said book, (laughs) Come Home to Your Heart. So it is possible, I want to reassure you, to do work that you love and put it out in the world while also tending to yourself and your psyche, your emotions, your physical, spiritual health, it is possible to make room for both and do so in a way that feels really nourishing. So I want to talk to you about how I have been approaching what would be a quote-unquote busy season if I had not and weren't really paying attention to my own heart along the way. It could look very different right now in my world, but it looks really lovely and delightful to be talking about this book with you here and out in the world because of the topic we're going to broach today, which is anti-striving. Let's dive in. Striving is something that is so innately in our culture. It's the water we drink. 
It is part of everything that we celebrate, accomplishments, promotions. It is the highlight reel on Instagram. There's the striving for a better body, striving for the next rank at work, striving for a picturesque family, striving for the perfect marriage or partnership, striving to be a boss babe, striving to have an amazing group of friends, striving, striving, striving. And it feels toxic to me and unsustainable to me, especially if you are a person like me for whom striving is the ultimate drug. It is the hidden vice that the majority of us are addicted to, myself included. And I think about it all the time because I am someone who likes to do good work in the world. And it's hard to know when the line has been crossed between good work with solid effort and striving. I know when I get there because I'm not present anymore. I'm not in flow. I'm in addiction, manic addiction of doing more, doing better. Strive, strive, strive. My brain feels different. My body feels different. I don't breathe. I am frenetically looping in my mind. And there's a lot of comparison and shoulds within the language. So the striving goals come from a place not of wouldn't it be fun to, but more of I really should X, Y, Z. If you're someone who can relate to this, I have been thinking about what helps and who helps. First and foremost, I have been really looking at models and I have been watching certain women do anti-striving things in a way that makes me really impressed. I'm watching women take really necessary breaks and that is huge. Elizabeth Gilbert has taken a pretty prolonged time off of social media. She'll just post when she needs to um, talk about uh, the next author on her book club and if she's appearing somewhere and then she gets the heck out of there. Brene Brown took a very long break last summer, a very intentional break from work, and then has recently taken a break from her podcast, Unlocking Us. And I'm watching in admiration. I watch people like Emily McDowell, who openly has discussed a major professional shift in her life and this kind of murky middle of when we don't know our next steps, what do we do and how do we 
stay in that place and find our way through it. That can be really, really hard. It might be easier to take a break when you know what you're going back to. But when you're taking a break and you don't know what's ahead, it can feel very unsettling. I've watched Flora Boley, uh, intuitive painter. She has a wonderful painting community. She posted a couple of months ago or sent out a newsletter about taking a long pause from not only social media, but from some of the retreats she was leading and really scaling down in order to concentrate on herself and her own creativity and creative practices. So one of the things that I find helpful, if you are really looking at your life and going, I'm striving a lot And for what? What is the carrot that I keep on chasing that I'm not getting? If you're asking yourself that, if you're aware that maybe you're striving, but you don't ever get the satisfaction, the full satisfaction that you thought the striving would give you, if you're questioning that, first of all, I commend you for recognizing it. And for having some intentional reflection and introspection around it. Because that's the first step. And what you might do is look for models of people who are taking a step back and going, wait a minute, has anyone questioned the frantic pace of life? Are we all in agreement here? I loved Glennon Doyle's conversation with Trisha Hersey, who wrote Rest as Resistance and runs the NAP Ministry, who is just talking about the not only importance of rest, but the necessity of rest. Rest as resistance, rest as protest, rest as the antidote to the frantic, unsustainable pace of life. And if we can start to look for and at models of people who are questioning the pace and are questioning striving and are taking a break or redirection from this status quo hustle, I think that that's a really good first step. That's what I've been doing on my own, not even intentionally at first, as I've been looking for models who are saying, wait a minute, and is there another way? And the next thing that I've been doing that I might encourage you to do is focus on receiving. This sounds abstract and weird, But here's what I mean by it. I will give and give and give until I'm bleeding and blistered and freezing. (laughs) But I've learned in my own self-work that I don't know how the heck to receive. I have a hard time receiving compliments, receiving help, working as a team. How do I receive when I feel bad to even ask for help from a team member? (laughs) 
I think it's why I did mostly individual sports growing up, track and cross country and swimming. (laughs) I was on a team, but I was going it alone. And I have a hard time receiving anything and asking to receive it. So what I've been doing is as I've been learning from some other models like Danielle Laporte and Andrea Quinn, spiritual leaders, coaches, etc., reading their books and taking a look at their work, is in my meditations in the morning, I've been trying to focus on receiving. What does it look like to receive love? Letting it fill my body. What does it look like to receive help? Just imagine it and envision it. What would it even look like and who could I ask? And just to practice it in my imagination has been really helpful because it helps me feel in my body what it might feel like to receive love and help from other people. It's giving my brain and my body practice for what it might feel like. And coincidentally, when I do this in my meditations, I notice more outreach from people around me who are inviting and are willing to offer help, sometimes without me even asking for it. But I also notice a willingness for myself to ask. So I sit and I imagine all of that love and help pouring in. I imagine who it's coming from and how it feels. And then I might look at my phone a little while later and I get a text message from someone who's saying, hey, want to come over? An outreaching of neighbors. A hint at someone I can ask for help from. I was saying out loud to a friend a couple weeks ago just about help I need. Website help and this kind of help and that kind of help. And then I went to a gathering and suddenly it's like everyone that seated was seated around me had that very skill set that I needed. (laughs) I was like, oh, wait, you help with website stuff? Oh, you help with this? You help with that? It was like they were all seated around me. And Andrea Quinn talks about this in her book, Quinn Essentials. And she talks about these people are often right under your nose. The helpers, the people you can receive help from. But then there's the asking. There's taking the next step into actually doing the ask. Brene Brown once said something like, if you judge other people for receiving help, then you are judging yourself for receiving it. So if we don't judge other people when we give them help, then why do we think that we'll be judged when we get help? It certainly wasn't an exact 
quote from Brene Brown, but it makes me think about this. So who can you ask for help from? And then what would it look like to pattern interrupt? What would it look like to actually say no to things in the striving path and accept the consequences of that, but also maybe assume that they won't all be negative. That's the catch. My biggest fear is that if I stop XYZ, then what? What will go to hell in a handbasket if I stop, pause, take a break on this or that? Will it all fall apart? What if we thought that maybe the best things, the things that actually satisfy us, could come from the pausing? And I practice this tactilely when I go outside in my backyard and I sit in my nest chair and I daydream. Now, there is immediately a critical voice in my head that says, who the hell has time to daydream in the middle of the day? There are a million other things I could or should be doing, and that's the very point. I am resisting the striving by sitting in my nest chair and daydreaming. I'm giving myself the carrot that has been dangling in front of my face that I've never been able to catch. Oh, if I just get all this work done, then I'll rest. Well, what does the rest even look like for you? I think the reason why for so long I've loved coziness, like a coffee mug, a picture of a coffee mug instantly makes me feel cozy. Coffee shops and comfy couches and throw blankets and a mug and tea. Because in my mind, it's like, oh, that's rest and are reading a book. But what do we do on those couches? Do we zone out and watch TV? What do we do when we're at that coffee shop? Look at our email. We're not giving ourselves the very thing that we're striving after. We're striving after these accolades, which we think will bring us what? Recognition? Because then we will have proven something and then we can enjoy and rest. Why can't we give ourselves regular enjoyment and rest along the way? Because otherwise, first of all, we're never satisfied by the accolade. And second of all, we're never catching the carrot and actually giving it to ourselves. So what is the freaking point? This is just a little, you know, journey into my mind of what I have thought about for a long time and I've made some big decisions based on this. Am I striving here or is it something I'm doing from an actual loving good place of enjoyment or gratitude or true giving? Can you give yourself the rest or the enjoyment now? 
So sometimes when I go and sit in my nest chair in my backyard and I look at the trees and listen to the birds and let myself just be filled with the wonder and awe and beauty and the magic all around me. Have you heard these birds? It's like the cardinals and the chickadees and the blue jays, the woodpecker occasionally. And I look at all these interesting plants that they have here in Florida that I didn't know about when I lived in Illinois, the magnolias and the live oaks and the pines, tall pines, the saw palmettos, the palm trees. I just look around in wonder because that's what I'm after. I'm after relishing, lavishing in the wonder and goodness. So one of the biggest things that I have found that is the antidote to striving is doing what I call activities for no reason. They have no contribution towards career goals or making you a better person or making you seem better and shiny and great to anybody else. There's seemingly nothing in it in terms of enhancement or enrichment societally. These activities, like for example, daydreaming. This doesn't technically contribute to any huge accomplishment. And that's the exact reason why we should do them. So activities for no reason are things that are silly or fun or really restful or the kinds of things that people would say must be nice. Who has time for that? (laughs) And that's the exact reason why you're doing it, because you're going to make time for that. I've thought of this a lot from the author Shauna Nequist, who in her book, Present Over Perfect, wrote a whole chapter about that must be nice thing when it's like, oh, you notice that someone takes naps on the regular and it's like, oh, must be nice. There's a judgment there, but underneath the judgment is a sort of envy, truly. And whenever you feel like who has time for that or must be nice or that's so ridiculous, who would go look at the world's largest ball of twine, that's the exact reason why you should do the thing. This has been further backed up by a woman that I love. Her name is Kate Bowler. She's an author. She has a podcast called Everything Happens, and her life was really turned upside down when she got a very awful medical prognosis, and she got it at a time when her son was very young, and she was young herself, and it's just like, what is going on here? And it makes her look at the world in a completely different way. And so she does things just for the mere fact that they are ridiculous, like going and looking at the world's largest ball of twine. So some of mine are daydreamy, scheduling in daydreams. 
I'm just going to look around at the clouds and the trees. And because this makes me very antsy, I set a timer for 10 to 15 minutes so that I'm not worried about how long should I be doing this? I really have email to get to and blah, 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 blah. I set a timer so that as soon as I get into it, I'm actually into it. Oh, yeah, I'm going to daydream for 10 minutes or 15 minutes. So daydreaming is one. Staring at and looking at appreciating nature is one of my other ones. I, in the morning when I'm going out and moving my body, whether I'm going for a walk or jog or going to yoga, on my way back from wherever, I try to stop at the beach and just look at the ocean and watch the waves and have a little conversation with the waves and with the universe. And I just do it really for no reason, but to be in awe and wonder and to feel what it's like to be standing next to such a powerful force. So can you go talk to a tree, (laughs) talk to a wave, talk to a flower, talk to a hummingbird, talk to any kind of creature for no reason? Can you chat with someone who The goal is not for them to advance your career or agenda in any way. The other night, I went to a cocktail hour in the neighborhood held at a house of a woman who is in her 80s. And it was wonderful to sit in her home and listen to her talk about life in such a wise way and listen to her southern drawl, and just talk to people who are different from my typical circle of friends. This is what I'm talking about. Is there a neighbor or someone that you can just engage in conversation and learn something from without an agenda? Sometimes I play games for no reason. I love games because of this. Uno, sorry, you name it, I love it because it might be looked at as a time waster, but it always ends in laughter. Another thing I do for no reason is sketching in my notebook, in my journal. I'm not a good artist. I do love art. I'm not amazing at it. I'm not sketching to frame it, to hang it. I am sketching to honor the thing that I'm sketching to give it a moment of celebration. Oh, look at that tree. Let me sketch it. I honor it by sketching it. Another thing I do for no reason is to take myself for a cup of chai or for a meal, to take myself out on a little date, not in front of my laptop or phone, but just me and the meal or me and the mug. There's no agenda behind it. I don't come there with 75 questions that I want to ask myself. It doesn't need to even be introspective. I'm just celebrating the meal, the mug, myself. That's it. A lot of these for no reason activities, at the end of the day, what we're doing is just experiencing joy and celebration. I like to go somewhere different and fun just to see what there is to see. Like over spring break, we went to the Keys and we ended up in Key West one day and we went to a butterfly conservatory 
Do you know how wonderful it feels to have wings fluttering all around you and see these colorful, magnificent creatures just flitting about, playing with each other? They play. They actually play. One of the workers there said about one particular kind of butterfly, how they play a game of chase all the time. And I saw it. They were just chasing each other, not for mating or anything else, literally just for fun to chase, to play tag, essentially butterfly tag. So can you put yourself in some new, different, interesting environment like a butterfly conservatory? And then finally, the best activity for no reason is doing anything slow. Walking, not for exercise, just to go slow. Eating slow. Talking slow. Or not at all. Silence. These are wonderful anti-striving activities. So I hope that you'll remember if you are on this journey to uh, the anti-striving. One is to recognize when you're striving. Two is to have important models of anti-strivers and to cut out the input of striving language and people and models. Three is to be able to really say no and push back against the status quo of striving. And four is to actively resist by doing for no reason activities. (laughs) I want to know what you're anti-striving activities are. These are going to be really fun. My next thing I want to do is roller skating for no reason, just because as a kid, I loved it. If you're having a hard time thinking of anti-striving activities, just remember what you did as a kid. All I have to do is watch Geo for a second and play in the sand alongside of him, and suddenly I am anti-striving. Kids are the greatest models of anti-striving. Let me know what your activities are. You can post or email me through my website, both places. I'm at Nadine Kenny Johnstone. I'll put the link to my book, Come Home to Your Heart, in the show notes as well. You can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and bookshop.org. Michelle Rado, thank you, my fabulous producer. I love the beautiful contributions that you make to this podcast. And remember, everyone, every heart has a story, and every story has a heart. See you next week.